0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. I'm going to summarize just quickly. Last week, uh, we talked about the fact that family matters despite family issues, and everyone who's ever been a part of a family, which is all of us, know that families have issues but uh family matters to god despite the issues that we have and that our children um matter and are an important part of our family despite the issues that our children might have whether they're small whether they're teenage whether they're young adults they all make mistakes and um, even though they have the freedom to make choices and some might make not all will make bad choices it's not our fault uh, but we still have a biblical responsibility to love them, to care about them, to be there for them, to encourage them. Uh, and we also said that one of the most important things that we can do is expose our children to the things of God. That's, that's one of the most important things that we can do. And when you look at the next generation, uh, there's a lot of things that they're facing that we, growing up, probably have never had to face. So we don't understand it. And so we're trying to wrestle with that. But one of the most important things we could do is really expose them to the things of God. And uh, a lot of people, when they look at this parable, and I've had some people ask me, not some of you guys, uh, when you look at the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son, as it's, a lot of people call it, uh, people ask, where's the mom? Like, Because there's this father who's raising and providing, and he's the only one that's featured in the story. And it's not that God is not aware of single-parent households. Uh, it's that in this particular parable that Jesus is telling, the father uh, kind of represents God the Father, right? So uh, when Jesus is telling the story, he shows how the father provided provisions for the child. We talked about that last week, uh, and God provided provisions for the nation of Israel. He provides for His people. He provides for us today. Uh, we talked about the fact that the father provided a place to stay, right? This guy was leaving in a home. It was, left his home he wasn't sleeping in a car or homeless he had a a a, a residence and a family that cared about him uh, and god does the same thing he provided for a nation of israel land and he provides for his people but also um there were guiding principles that the father provided that the son came back to later and, and thinking about and pulled on those and god does the same thing for us so uh I, Maybe you didn't think about this, but I've had people say, well, where's the mom? Is this, is this one of the things with the Bible? It's not realistic, uh, all that kind of thing. But again, it's not that God is ignoring single parents. It's just that in this particular parable, God is the parent. God is the provider. God is the one who shows the love. However, comma, it would be kind of um, cool right now. I want to take a moment and I want to pray for single parents because I was a single parent. I know other people who are single parents and a lot of people give you a lot of, what's the word I can use, just hassles if you're a single parent because I heard from a lot of people, not necessarily to me, but just about me, oh, well, you know what, Floyd's a single parent, his kids are going to grow up either on drugs or in jail or whatever Uh, and and I got to admit, um, that I probably gave them a lot of reason to think that because I was a workaholic and when you're a single parent When you get home from work, there's not another parent to mix and say well I'll start dinner and you help them with their homework or I'll help you know Johnny with his homework and you take Sally to her soccer game. You're doing it all and As a single parent I could admit trying to do it all. I, I messed up a lot of stuff failed a lot uh, but at the same time um, it's not like single parents are out there trying to say, hey, I just want to fail. They love their kids as much as anybody else. Uh, they want to do as much for their kids as they can. But there's limited resources to work with. There's just one parent instead of two. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads really quick. because I just, I just want to pray for all of the single parents out there. God, we lift them up to you. We know uh, that there's struggles for single parent that, that uh, a two-parent family might not see both for the parent and for the child or the children, single parents with multiple children. Uh, We know there are limited resources financially and uh, just physical resources that that parent can provide. They can't be in two places at once. But we also know that you are Heavenly Father. Love them just like you love everyone else. So we pray that you would, you, would, you would support them, you would encourage them, you pr- we pray that you would bring people around them to help them and to be sometimes those extra resources that they need and to let them know that they are not failing, that they are not different, that they are just loved by you and need your help just like everyone else. we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen. And and I want to share this quickly because uh, when I was a single parent, um, one of the best resources I had was the church. I had friends who sometimes were like, oh, yeah, I can help. I can do this. But I had a a, a body of Christ that stepped in and was there for me and that helped me. And it's hard because no matter what, as a parent, um, we tend to think that we have to be perfect. And we're not. We're not going to be. Whether you're a single parent, whether you're a dual parent family, uh, God is a perfect parent, but there are no perfect children. And since we're all children of God, we're not perfect. And one of the best things we can do is get that in our head, that we're going to make mistakes, but God's going to love us anyway. Our children are going to make mistakes, and we have to love them anyway. All right? Um, But if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Luke, and we're going to look at this parable. I'm going to summarize a little bit parts that we went through last week because we only looked at a verse or two last week. Uh, and it starts in Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one under your seat, left, right of you, somewhere around you. And in Luke chapter 15, says this, verse 11, Jesus continued. This is after he told the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and we said one of the sons, younger one, Kind of represented Israel, and the elder son kind of represented the Pharisees, and we'll get to that next week. Uh, and the younger one said to his father, "Father, give me my share of the estate." So he divided his property between them, and then not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and we said everything he had came from the father. He didn't have anything on his own; everything that he had came from the father. And he set off for a different cult- country and also a different culture, likely because he was tired of the rules in his father's household. And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. And that wild living, some say reckless living, some say licentious living. Uh, And then verse four, excuse me, verse 14, we didn't get to this last week. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And, And this is hard for us to picture But after he had spent everything, and when it says he spent everything, it wasn't like he left and cleaned out his two or three or four or five thousand dollars in his bank account. He spent that and he took all the estate his father gave him. So he took his Apple stocks, he took his Amazon stocks, he took all the stock and he liquidated that and spent it all. And the picture that God is, is painting is of a family father of great wealth and provision. So think of a billionaire or a millionaire that you're aware of, maybe one we don't know personally, but in the news. Think of their child who's probably well taken care of, right, they don't get five bucks for allowance. And them saying, give me my share of the estate. And so, uh, uh, you know, the uh, stocks are liquidated and, and everything's turned into cash and say, here you go. You know, you would have inherited A quarter of a multi-million dollar company, but now you get multi-million dollars in cash and go. And he spent all of that. And it's sometimes uh, it's difficult for us to understand, but sometimes it takes being broke, because he was broke, and hungry, for people to come to their senses, right? Sometimes the only reason he came to his senses is because he had a need. And a lot of people that go through hard times and difficulties, especially when dealing with addictions, they're like, how come God let me go through this? Because sometimes if God didn't let you go through that, you wouldn't realize that you needed him. And he had a need. His need, he didn't think it was for God, but his need was, hey, I need food, I need shelter, all the things that he left from home. And even though he had spent all his money, he found, we're going to read... He found a citizen uh, in that country, and he hired himself out to a citizen in that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And if you think about this, pigs in the Jewish culture, unclean. So in his nation, his home country, there would not have been a lot of pig pens around. There were likely some, because Jesus tells and not just a parable, but an account of, of uh, a swan, uh, 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 I forget which area he went to, where there were a bunch of pigs and he cast a demon out of a person and sent it into the pigs. So there were some who were likely, just like in every culture, who were like, I don't care what the religion says, I'm going to make some money doing this. And it wasn't a huge money maker, because the people you're selling to don't eat pork, but lots of tourists eat pork. Right? So if you go to some countries where, hey, we don't practice this thing, but you can find somewhere to buy you know bacon. And forgive me, someone's going to send me a nasty email and it's listening to this online. But I'm sure you can find bacon somewhere in Israel where they sell it as a delicacy for tourists, but they don't practice it. But you're not going to find an overwhelming bunch of, you know, pig farms. So now the culture that he left and went to a whole other country to get away from, he's stuck in it. And it would have immediately reminded him, here he is feeding pigs, which are unclean in his country. And the thing that's unclean in his country, they're eating better than him right now. And the thing that probably went through his mind is I have hit rock bottom, and life sucks. And we know some people, whether they be our family or our children. Or our friends or our co-workers who are going through some stuff and they look at their circumstances and they say, you know what, right now, life sucks. And verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, that word came to his senses is a word that means coming to himself. Literally, the understanding is, and this is what Jesus was trying to uh get Israel to understand, the people that were listening, and to get us to understand is when you come to the point when you realize who you really are. He was trying to tell Israel, hey, I know you guys think that you're this nation that's under submission to Rome, but what you really are is a child of God. To everyone who's reading this today, everyone who's hearing this, he's saying, hey, I want you to come to your senses and realize what you really are, a child of God. That's why you were created. When he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Again, God provides for all of his people. And he said, I'm going to sit out. And I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing we understand. And I want to reiterate this to make sure it's clear, Right. It's not our fault as parents when our children stray. Talked about that last week. When they go and they make choices, if they end up uh, on drugs or in jail or in prison or, or, or if they end up doing things that we say, how in the world could you do that? Uh, you know, if we're exposing them to the things of God and raising them in a godly way, they're, they, they're in a world where choices are theirs to make and they're going to make some choices that are outside of us as parents, our will, just like we make choices of god's will but it's not our fault when our children stray and it is not god's fault as a parent when his children stray right jesus is telling this account this parable with god as the father not to say that god is a bad parent and it's his fault he's telling it so that we understand that it is each person's fault when they make choices that lead them down a path especially towards sin and away from god because everyone has the freedom to make that choice our small little lovely so cute can never do anything wrong children some of them are going to grow up to make some really horrible choices because they have the ability to make those choices our great teenagers who are doing getting good grades And star, basketball, soccer, whatever team, some of them are going to grow up uh, to make some really bad choices. Some of them are going to make some drunken choices. Some of them are going to make some abusive choices and go out and maybe abuse women. Some of them are going to be, some of our daughters are going to grow up and make some choices to stay in some really horrible, abusive relationships. Some of our children are going to make bad choices. But that's not, thank you, Jesus, that's not the end of the story. Because while he was still, excuse me, I jumped ahead. He said, I'm going to set out, I'm going to go back to my father and say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He got up, he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. There's a couple of things here. One is the reason why the father saw him when he was a long way off is because the father was looking for him. Now, this is the part where most of you are going to zone out. But I need you to just rein in for a minute. How many people saw Aquaman? Okay. Aqua, what did I say, aqua? What is it, aqua? Is it aqua? Aqua? Okay, how many people saw, yeah, <laughs> okay, not, not, okay, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I will tell you a little bit of what's in it. His father, uh, his father um, uh, uh, kind of had a baby with the Queen of Atlantis, not a real story, so don't go looking through history books, Queen of Atlantis, they had a baby, and that's who he was, his name was Arthur Curry, but then she left. But she said, I'm going to come back. And so for what we can probably guess is close to some 30-ish years, she said, I'm going to come back when the sun rises, come to the end of the pier, and I'll meet you here as soon as I can. Every single day for some -some 30-some-odd year period, the father would get up early. And they show this in the movie, and he would come down to the end of the pier, and he would watch the sunrise because he was waiting for her to return, right? Because his expectation was, I don't know when, but someday this is going to happen. And that's the picture here, not of Arthur Curry, yeah. But the picture is that the father was expecting, I don't know when, I don't know how, but someday my son's going to come back to me. So he was waiting and looking for him, which is why he saw him when he was afar off. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, It says, and some versions might have a different word, and it says he was filled with compassion for him. And that word compassion is a word that literally means love, but not just from the mental, right, or from an emotional. It really means from the core of the gut is the way the Hebrew explains that word, or excuse me, the Greek explains that word. It's a word that means that love that comes from a gut, every fiber of your being, like you feel it down here going out. That's what he felt for him, and that's what God feels for us. And that's why when some people, you know what, make bad choices, and they stray away from God, or some people grew up and they've never been exposed to God, and God is looking at every single person on the planet with that expectation and that love, longing for them to come back to him he says, when he saw him, uh, he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's true for every single person that has ever lived on the planet except for Jesus. There's not a single one of us that is worthy to be called a child of God. But God's response to that is, but the father said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, because even though you're not worthy, I look at you and I'm calling you my son. He says, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet because even though you're not worthy, I'm looking at you and I'm bringing you into my family and calling you my son. And he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they have to celebrate. And the whole purpose for all three of these scenarios, the folks of the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son is God rejoices when his children returned to the family. And it wasn't just a rejoice. He says, let's have a celebrate a party from the core of my being. I have so much compassion for you that I'm ready to rejoice and to celebrate and to throw a party anytime anyone comes back or into the family of God. And if you think about it, uh, depending upon where we are, we all can relate. Maybe not like we talked about last week. Maybe we can't relate to the lost sheep. We don't have any sheep. Maybe not to the lost coin because if we lost one of 10 coins worth about $5 to $12, we might, ah, but we're not going to throw a party when we find it again. But we can all relate to this account, this parable of the lost son because we all probably know from a parental perspective, some children who are prodigal children, separated from God. Or as we said last week, if we don't have ones, maybe we have children that are growing up, or maybe they're in a good place now, but that concern or that hope or that worry, that they don't start making choices that lead them astray. Or maybe some of us are in that place ourselves where, um, and this, this, this happens, we we're talking about this with a group of pastors that we do the live stream with, that there are so many people in the church today, like as a whole, really have no relationship with God at all. That the only thing that makes them different from the people who claim I am not a Christian is that they show up on Sunday. Their language, the things they do outside of a Sunday morning, the way they act, the way they treat others is the exact same way, as bad and as horrible as non-Christians treat others. And they haven't really, there's no difference between them and a non-Christian and that should not be. That shouldn't be for a person who is filled with the very spirit of God. There should be something different. You should talk differently. You should act differently. You should treat other people differently. You should look at uh, people, and the way Jesus called it is the way you treat and talk to your neighbor and see them differently. And we're going to do a big whole uh, series on this because this name I can say, right? How many people familiar with the Mr. Rogers movie that's coming out? In October, yeah, we're gonna do. It's just me and Ben, the only moviegoers. And okay, all right. Um, but we're gonna do a, a whole series on not just loving your neighbor, but how do you interact with your neighbor and the way not just your neighbor, the guy that lives across the street, but your neighbor as Jesus defined it. The people that hate you, that don't look like you, that don't think much of you, and the people that may not want anything to do with you. But still, how do we treat them the way that Jesus did? some of us, this may apply to us, but all of us probably know some prodigal children. All of us can probably think of people that, uh, uh, talk to a few of the older people now, that we grew up going to church with, going to Sunday school with, we had the same principles and morals, but then now they have strayed so far away that they're not Christ followers, they're just Christ-sitters, because they sit at home and they say they're Christian, but they've never opened the Bible in the last decade. They haven't prayed. They do nothing that differentiates them from the people that say, I know nothing about your God or I don't care about it. We all know people like that in our lives. So here's here's what I'm going to do. I want to um, spend some time praying about this. But first, let me show you why. Uh, because the best thing that we can do, uh, for people that have a lot that they're going through and are dealing with a lot, especially if we want to help change the world, is to introduce the hurting people in the world to the creator of the world. That's that's one of the things that we are here. That's why the church exists. Uh, And really quick, in Matthew chapter 11, this is what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all of you who are struggling and burdened, and I will give you rest. That word burdened doesn't just mean people they're dealing with a lot. Because all of us can say, yeah, I'm dealing with a lot. Whether at work or home or financially whatever. It means you're dealing with something that you cannot physically carry. It's stopping you from making forward progress. Those are the people that Jesus says, hey, come to me and I'm going to give you some rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. And I don't... uh, I don't have permission to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway, because she doesn't watch the live stream, so she'll never see this. Uh, uh, Gary and I went to, and it's positive. Don't, everyone's like, well, that's so bad. It's a positive thing. Uh, we went to visit Sally Graham, and we prayed earlier for, you know, the return of her cancer. And when we left her house, though, I told Gary, I was like, you know, because she said, I asked her, what can we pray for? What can I bring back to the congregation so we can be in prayer for you? She said, pray for this cancer. I've been struggling with this cancer, what would she say, two or three, two or three years? And, it, and it's not gone away. It's, it's slowly progressing, as we said earlier. And when we got in the car to leave, I told Gary, I was like, I know she's struggling with this cancer. She's taking chemo. She's taking radiation. She's doing all that. But whenever we go visit her or whenever I talk to her on the phone, there is no difference in her demeanor or her actions than from five years ago when I visited her. And she is, I don't want to say her, well, she doesn't watch. She's in her 70s, late 70s. But, and, and, and I, we all probably know some people that cancer, it, it wrecks their soul. It doesn't just do a number on their body. It's not just the chemo. It's not just the radiation. It brings them down. It puts a burden on them where they find it difficult to struggle through life. And the difference with Sally Graham, this mid-70, late-70, how old is she? Mid-70, late-70-year-old woman. It's just God in her life. She's going through, the the cancer isn't gone. It's actually getting worse. But she has that rest and that peace that comes from God. Where she's still dealing with the sickness, but she's not carrying the burden. And that's what Jesus offers to people. To the people that we know, to the, the, the prodigal children, to our children, our co-workers, and he says, however, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and the only yoke that he puts upon us is that we share and show the love of Christ to others. So as the band comes up, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. God, we pray first and foremost for, you know, our children, our loved ones. That may have strayed far from you with the choices that they made in their life and we pray that you would use us to draw them back to you to draw them into places of hope and renewal and restoration in their relationship with you god we pray that if we are here if we're in that place if we're the the people that have not opened the Bible in decades, not spent any time talking to you. That we just the only difference in our lives from those who don't know you is that we show up on Sunday morning, we pray that we would come back to you, that we would acknowledge that you are looking and longing to restore the relationship with us, that we acknowledge just as, as the prodigal son did that we have sinned against heaven and against you, but we long to be returned a place within your kingdom, within your family. God, we pray for all of those people we know, all of those who are dealing with so many issues either at work or at home or in their relationships, and they're carrying a burden that they cannot carry, cannot bear. God, we pray that you would use us to share and to show the love of Christ with them. That they might experience the rest and the renewal of their soul that you can bring. We pray for the hope that comes through your name. The restoration that comes through your name. The salvation that comes through your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God, we acknowledge there's no other name that's going to bring our children home, no other name that's going to restore the morals and values to our culture, there's no other name that's going to put an end to the drug epidemic that's plaguing not just our schools and our communities and our homes, but our nation and this world. There's no other name by which we might be saved and be restored to your family. we pray that you would allow us to take that name out of these walls into the schools into the streets that we make it a priority to share that name with our children to give them that foundation so when they make choices even whether they're good or bad that they know that there is a God that loves them and so when they are ready to be restored to the family we, like you, are waiting with outstretched arms to love them, to welcome them, to receive them, to encourage them. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. God bless, and see everyone next week.